Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose Podcast. Every week right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, wherever you get your podcasts, we're hosted online at justthenews.com, available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Gary, we're three, four days, a dollar late. A day late and a dollar short in terms of our podcast. We didn't do one yesterday because we were in and out of bomb shelters all day. I'm in Tel Aviv, but we're we're four days into this ground operation, which is uh, a non-conventional, non-typical, non-traditional uh, anti-insurgent ground operation. A lot of people were expecting a D-Day style, you know, massive frontal invasion. That's not what the IDF has done. That's not, I want to spend one minute just filling people in sure. on on where things are logistically and militarily in terms of the war. Of course, in Israel during wartime, there's a news blackout that foreign sources and reporters don't have to abide by, but internally there's a blackout and it's working insofar as Hamas no longer has access to Israeli open source intel for real-time information. Sources that they used to be able to rely upon to, to give them advanced information on where the IDF was going, what their plans were, that's gone now. We've got the debut of some of these new super high-tech uh, weapon systems. The IDF is is slowly beginning to deploy a new armored personnel carrier that's got all kinds of advanced defensive capabilities. These new drones. Is that a, uh, let me let me interrupt one, one second, Tom. So is that you know there's been a worry about the the advent the growth of drone warfare and that not only armored personnel carriers but tanks themselves can be in some cases taken out by these. Or are you saying that that you all might have? Uh, a technology here that can counter that? There are anti... I was just going to... Are you looking at my notes? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) There are... And again, all this is rumor because the IDF admits nothing. But there are... There is apparently new anti-drone drone technology. You have almost Ronald Reagan... Star Wars style anti-drone drones that are taking out Hamas drones. They also have these new tunnel drones that are the size of a human thumb. And these drones can penetrate spaces so tiny, providing HD, you know, 4K video. Um, the IDF is is using these combined arms operations with artillery and tanks, and they've apparently started to deploy this new type of disabling smoke-style diversion devices to make it much harder for Hamas to snipe 
uh, these new D9 bulldozers are clearing out all kinds of booby traps, but the casualty numbers are, are rising. It's now 13 soldiers dead, 11 yesterday. Um, but of course, the real question, which no one's answered yet, is is how the IDF can can mitigate this rising international pressure by speeding up the campaign, winning it more quickly um, without, you know, losing what little international support there is. And in some ways, you know, providing humanitarian aid in ways that that lessen the pressure. And apparently the pressure is mounting, not just from Israel's so-called friends, but from the United States. So that's the worry. Well, well, Tom, at the risk of, uh, and I don't, I, my intention is not to get into a discussion with you about Ukraine, where we have a slightly different perspective on, on that war. But, but uh, you may agree with what I'm getting ready to say, which is, it, it is so stark to me that Ukraine, where we don't really have a formal treaty obligation, and no one would say that Ukraine has been America's most reliable ally in Europe. There isn't a great historical connection between Ukraine and, and the United States. Yet during the Ukraine war with Russia, where we are funding massively Ukraine, None of the people that are calling for a ceasefire here in the United States in the Middle East has called for a ceasefire in the war between Ukraine and Russia. Nobody is saying we need a diplomatic solution. Nobody is saying that the Russians and the Ukrainians need to come to the table. The president, Biden, has not said, I have told the State Department to use all of our diplomatic influence to bring this war between Russia and Ukraine to a close so that there's not a miscalculation and both sides are going to have to give. But when it comes to Israel, that we do have a decades-old relationship with. We're joined at the heart and at the hip. Uh, Israel is our most reliable ally. I would argue not only in the Middle East, but uh, you could make a strong case. It's their, uh, our most reliable ally in the world. Powerful forces in the Biden administration and government generally, in the media, and of course the yokels at the United Nation and the weenies of the European Union are wetting themselves, demanding that, uh, you know, before you've even buried all of the dead from October uh, 7th, that uh, we have a humanitarian ceasefire to give a chance for the diplomats diplomats to work things out. I just think the contrast is is very telling. And the biggest contrast, the biggest distinction between the two wars is the following. Russia is intent upon conquering Ukraine. Hamas and Hezbollah are intent upon annihilating Israel. There is no diplomatic path. There is no Solomonic baby that can be split between those who simply want to live in peace and those who want to murder you, annihilate you. The Russia-Ukraine war, not to mention the estimated casualties in that war are now 700,000. In other words, 100 times what at least Hamas is claiming Palestinian casualties are as a result of their attack of 10-7. And you'll also notice, Gary, 
how they never differentiate between combatants, i.e. terrorists, and civilians, who they call civilians. And it, it just, you know, everyone who is out there protesting microaggressions back home in the U.S. It can't seem to differentiate between the most ghoulish murderers and those that they murder. No one is demonstrating for a free Palestine. They're demonstrating and protesting to protect this, this Islamist genocidal tyrannical army that's dedicated to destroying the Jewish state and killing every, every, every Jew in it. There, there have been, you obviously saw this Harvard Harris poll and I'm looking to you, Gary, to uh, give me some sense of comfort in it. This most recent Harvard Harris poll, the cross tabs on it, 36% of liberals of all ages agree that the Hamas attack on civilians was justified. 54% of those between 18 and 24 say it was justified. And 46% of those between 24 and 35 say it was justified. So are we really, and those aren't Democrats, that's everybody. Everybody Everybody 18 to 24 and everybody... 24 to 35. It's almost evenly split, not between a two-state solution or no two-state solution, but between genocide and not genocide. Can that, can those numbers possibly be true? <laughs> uh, Tom, I, uh, I wish I could give you comfort. The only thing, uh, you, you know, the one question was phrased in a way, do you, you know, do you believe the attacks, uh, on Israel were uh, genocidal and a big percentage said yes. And then the next question was, do you support the attacks on Israel or do you support Israel? And that's where you get these other figures. And the only thing that I've been able to come up with that could possibly uh, offer comfort is that America's um, uh, highly educated youth, uh, which translates into the dumbest People in the world, the the more years they spend in school, the more they don't know about history, the more they don't know about vocabulary that they just didn't even know what the word what what the reference to a genocidal attack meant. That you know that they might have thought it was something different than what it is—an effort to exterminate a whole group of people. Uh, it's. Uh, it's very disheartening. You know, I told you at one point, Tom, that I was invited by a um, uh, an American Jewish group, a, a, a mainstream American Jewish group, which means a liberal uh, Jewish group, <laughs> uh, to to debate a um, a female rabbi. And I'm only exaggerating a, a little bit. Uh, because it's fun to say what I'm getting ready to say, <laughs> uh, but I'm not exaggerating much. The, the, the invitation was basically to say what we want to, what we want you to debate the rabbi about is why should the American Jewish community feel comfortable accepting support from uh, people like you, meaning me. <laughs> Wow, who could turn down an invitation (laughs) like that? You know, I am such a terrible, scary person that uh, America's Jews, or at least those that ran this group, 
were wondering whether in good conscience they could accept my support. Now, the good news, Tom, is we had the debate and the debate quickly turned into me winning hands down. And instead of me being booed out of the room, I had to ca- uh, caution the audience to stop uh, booing their own rabbi. Uh, rabbi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at, at any rate, um, uh, you know, as I thought of this after listening to you describe this poll, because I, I think what American Jews of all stripes should start asking themselves, um, and we all know, Tom, that m- most American Jews still vote Democrat. Uh, it's changing among the Orthodox to being heavily Republican, but most, uh, particularly most secular American Jews vote Democrat. And at some point, I hope that they will ask themselves, are, are we really being smart to belong to a political party uh, who has a gr- that has a growing percentage of people that hate us this much? I think... Today, that's changed. There's almost unanimity, except for these extreme self-hating, super, super progressive left-wing lunatics on the Jewish far left. Today, there is a recognition, even among the most uh, willfully blind uh, Jewish liberals, that something has changed. Now, if you ask me, do I have faith that that those those newly opened eyes will stay open when this settles down or when something uh, changes dramatically or even slowly. I'm not so sure. But right now, at least, if Israel is any example, remember those murdered on 10-7, slaughtered, butchered. Uh, these are these were liberal communities. I've used the analogy that uh Southwestern Israel is is like the Napa Valley. These areas are like the Napa Valley of Israel. It's where people go for their fancy spa weekends and you get organic foods and organic, you know, wine and and sustainable, all that crap. And these were the communities that were attacked. These were the communities that were savaged. Had Hamas attempted this mass murder campaign on the night of a previously scheduled anti-Netanyahu protest in Tel Aviv, these towns would have been empty because everybody in them would be would be uh, protesting against Netanyahu in Tel Aviv. That has had a, a, a pretty dramatic impact and effect here. The same people protesting against Netanyahu back then are now uh, lead commanders in the most elite units uh, in this Godforsaken charnel house of a job of trying to clear these Hamas tunnels. Uh, there's been a. Dr- I mean, it happened immediately. I mean, the the sea change was instant. There's no domestic pressure whatsoever for any kind of an effort to slow down the campaign, save for the effort to try and redeem some of these hostages. You, you know, Tom, uh, I'm doing work with the James Dobson Family Institute, and uh, Dr. Dobson, you know, is has been known for years for his work on helping people keep their marriages together and uh, how to raise strong-willed children and so forth. But he's also always had a a really uh, very uh, over-the-top interest in public policy and in the U.S.-Israel alliance uh, and fighting anti-Semitism and so forth. And 
we're we're doing a lot of that right now. And I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about this because, uh, as you know, Tom, there's an explosion of anti-Semitism here in the United States. It's most notable on the university campuses. But every major American city is experiencing uh, uh, marches by tens of thousands of people. There's supposed to be a huge one in Washington, D.C. this uh, coming Saturday. Um, you know, I live in a neighborhood that, that has a lot of uh, Jewish families, and I've I've never seen this level of of fright. Really, I, I was talking to a, a Jewish woman in our neighborhood the other day, and she's uh, she's she's scared. And I've I've heard this from many Jewish friends and so forth. Um, I, I wonder whether the news of all this. It, is getting back to Israel. And you mentioned that there's some restrictions on the news, but are Israelis hearing that not only in Europe is there an explosion of anti-Semitism, but here in the United States too? And what is their reaction to that? I mean, it's sort of like, you know, when World War II started and Britain was getting the, you know what, kicked out of them by the Nazis, that all of a sudden the British people would open up the newspaper and find out that massive anti-Britain demonstrations had sprung up all over America. That would be a very unnerving thing. And I'm just wondering what, what the feeling is there. Oh, there's no question about it. It is a, uh, I, I won't say it's the number one preoccupation at in Israel at the moment, of course, the war is, but it's a close number two. Regarding the censorship issue, that only impacts or affects the military operations of the IDF. So there's complete freedom of the press there. And I think what Israelis see is less shocking to them than it would be perhaps to you or to me, because you and I have talked about this in the past. American Jewry, to a large extent, skipped the 20th century. We never experienced the Holocaust. We never experienced the horrible pogroms following the end of the First World War. Right now, today, Gary, the U.S. is experiencing the most explosive and dangerous demonstration of anti-Semitism in its history, in its 250-year history. There's never before been anything close to this Nazi-like anti-Semitism that we see today. We've never, ever seen tens of thousands of people gathering to support the mass murder of Jews with open calls for the annihilation of the Jewish state. People chanting, kill the Jews, F the Jews, gas the Jews. Not only is this the worst outbreak um, of Jew hatred in America, I would go so far in to say... I would go so far as to say that it's the first and only form of organized hatred that's exterminationist in its intent in the long history of our country. Not even the most abhorrent, despicable, uh, uh, slavery-supporting Confederate racist ever marched in New York or Washington or Birmingham calling for the extermination of all black people. The, the, the anti-Semitism that we're experiencing today in the United States, make no mistake, Gary, it's not just another form of bigotry. It's, it's not just another form of, you know, religious uh, prejudice. It's exterminationist 
the anti-Semites today in the United States, they don't just hate Jews. They want all Jews killed. That's unpro- We've never had anything remotely like that in our history. And as you well know, there are a lot of dark moments in our long and, and glorious history. Well, it's um, it's certainly unnerving here, uh, Tom, to see this. I mean, you, you know, with people like uh, Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and uh, some of the others, I mean, it's been obvious for a long time that they're anti-Semites, not just liberals. And, uh, you know, I, I've publicly criticized, as you have, uh, the, um, the the weak uh, response of the National Democrat Party to this anti-Semitism in their ranks. Um, now, uh, I, I have to say that that the scab is off of that. I mean, there are uh, there's exchanges taking place between pro-Israel Democrat members of Congress and anti-Israel uh, Democrat members of Congress that are. Uh, that, that make the division in the Republican Party look like, uh, uh, you, you know, a, a Sunday school picnic or whatever. Uh, in fact, Tom, I don't know if you saw this. Um, a, a Jewish congressional member, I think from New Jersey, was very upset about what Congressman, um, what is his name that represents your district? I know, Andre Carson, uh, Gossheimer, Gottheimer from New Jersey, and my, yes, I'm very proud to say my congressman, Andre Carson. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, so the the congressman called Andre Carson, who is uh, black and and a Muslim, uh, despicable in his comments. And and the the your congressman this anti Israel right, you don't need to come, you don't need to keep rubbing in the fact that he's my congressman but go ahead but it feels <laughs> it feels so good you should have run against him uh, he, he instead of responding on the issue he goes to a microphone and says uh, hey look if uh, the congressman for New Jersey wants to settle this some way other than with words uh, I'm uh, I'm here I'm ready let's go. Uh, uh, he's a thug. He's a uh, yeah. and he started using all these terms. I mean, so it's hard to believe these two guys can stay in the same political party. The other interesting thing, Tom, is that Joe Biden has dropped 11 points among self-described Democrats in uh, the, the three weeks since October 7th. And people think it is the it is the anti-Israel wing of the Democrat Party that is now really turning on Joe Biden. Now, sadly, what that means is you guys are going to get more pressure because Biden knows he's got to stop this thing or he really is going down the tubes next year. I mean, whoever thought one would lament uh, a decline in Joe Biden's approval rating among Democrats, but that's exactly why the reason his approval has plummeted 11 points in a month among Democrats is because at least he's mouthing pro-Israel sentiments. And I look, when you go back, you know, rewind the tape, as Walter Wolf, Werner Wolf would uh, have said in in previous days, everything here is about silencing opponents. That's that's all it's about. Because if you speak, if you speak up, then 
their lives are going to be exposed. So that's where cancel culture comes from. That's where this intimidation comes from. That's where these horrific genocidal chants and slogans come from. Shut up, don't say it. Jews, stay in your houses. Don't come out on Saturday afternoon because there's going to be a pro-PLO or a pro-Hamas demonstration, which is a pro-genocide demonstration that's going to be marching down your streets in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Whatever it is, always it always translates into shut up. The reason you've got to shut up is because everything they say, say doesn't work. These fascist tactics work, or at least have worked, because normal people, regular folks, they don't want to be hated or despised or fired or hauled down to HR. I mean, you see all these women in the street or men in the street interviews. A woman... Women today are afraid to even tell you what a woman is out of fear that they're going to be canceled or shamed. And Jews are told to hide in their homes. They have to shut you up because they can't defend their upside-down reality. It's the same reason they're tearing down these posters of kidnapped children and toddlers and infants because they can't permit the truth to spread that Hamas is a Nazi-style terror army. And all these university administrators that were the authors and implementers of cancel culture have now suddenly become free speech advocates because if you tout a microaggression, you have to be shut up. But if you're calling for the genocide of Jews, then your free speech rights need to be protected. Well, Tom, if um, if some group of uh, insane students or just courageous students, however way you want to look at it, marched across the campus of Yale or um, you know, any of these universities chanting, there, o- there are only two genders. <laughs> uh, I, seriously, they, they would get their butts kicked out so quick. I mean, there'd be a riot on some of these campuses. But you can march across the same campuses chanting gas to Jews and a university president runs to a mic and says, well, I really disagree with that. But hey, this campus believes in free speech. It is. It's bizarre. You, you know, Tom, I heard somebody on Fox this week say uh, it's so obvious these kids are uneducated. And if, they, if we just need to figure out how to give more information to them, well, they're they're not uneducated. They are overeducated with false information. And it gets to this, you know, what is being taught on the universities and One of the things, one of the overall sort of thematic things that's being taught is that the world is divided into two groups of people, the oppressed and the oppressor. France phenomes the wretched of the earth. The French, the French Marxist philosopher uh, that came from Algeria that wrote this book, The Wretched of the Earth, which is now mandatory reading at almost every great college, which which lays this case out, which developed it in the early 1960s. Only two kinds of people, the oppressor and the oppressed. And it's this quote unquote anti-colonial mindset which now um, has resulted 30, 40, 50 years later in the complete implosion of all our great institutions that the left has has originally infiltrated, then subverted, and now they and 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 now they take over. So, you know, they start out with this hugely disproportionate reach and institutional respect, and they've used it over the last several decades to make it a lot less disproportionate and um, 
because it's becoming so much more popular because they've had 30 years to to uh, infiltrate and indoctrinate America's young people. That's exactly right. And, you know, one of the subsets of all this is something called settler colonialism. And, uh, you, you know, people here for a number of years have bought into this idea that uh, Jewish settlers are uh, stealing Palestinian land and what the media here calls uh, the West Bank, uh, but what is really Judea, Judea <laughs> and Samaria, uh, where Jews have been uh, for a long time, including one called Jesus. Uh, but there's this narrative, you know, that and, and people here in the United States have this image of these little outposts, you know, of people, uh, you know, 15 Israelis with guns stealing some guy's land. When, as you and I know, Tom, there's there's whole cities in Judea and Samaria, tens of thousands of people, you know, living in these communities in land that has always been That's... a land where, where Jews live. But they're called settlers, and that completely delegitimizes them. And the reason I bring it up, Tom, if I can just finish this thought, is the same thing is applied against America. You know, I grew up loving not only the founders, but then the next wave of the growth of America when settlers, American settlers, had the courage to set out with their children and their families crossing the Mississippi. Well, first, settling the the Midwest. I mean, even places like present-day Ohio and so forth were um, you know, we're, we're wilderness, but then go on and crossing the, the Mississippi River and uh, settling the country. Well, that that means they were bad guys. Those American settlers were bad guys. They were stealing the indigenous people's land, just like the settlers in the West Bank. Now, Tom, it does. I mean, you, the, the indigenous people uh, of Judea and Samaria That's the and irony. Jerusalem are the Jews. That's the irony, of course. The irony is yeah. that this settler colonialist label, which again, going back to this guy, Franz Fanon, I just started reading him because uh, the references to him are endless in these woke curriculum. I'm like, who is this guy? So I got his book, The Wretched of the Earth, which is really the Bible for these 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 new self-hating Marxists. He was an Algerian Pied Noir, a French, the descendant of a, of a, you know, France took over Algeria, the Maghreb, in the 1830s. They were there for 150 years. The Algerian Civil War forced them out. He was one of them. Um, and he was writing all in the context of the Algerian Civil War, which ended uh, in the early 1960s. But he coined this phrase settler colonialism, referring to the French. But the irony, of course, is that in Israel, the indigenous people are the Jews and the the settler colonialists, yeah. if you will, are the Palestinians. Remember, in 1948, when the state of Israel was reborn... There were about 600,000 Palestinians, uh, Arab, uh, Palestinian Arabs in Israel. Today, uh, with the territories, there are about three and a half million. When the first Zionists started to come back to the country in 18, in the 1880s, there were less than 100,000 Palestinian Arabs. When the Jews came back, started to come back and create enterprise and create some economic opportunity, 
A lot of regional Arabs moved to the territory to take advantage of that opportunity. So this France Fanon uh, phenomenon that everyone now accepts as gospel is totally on its head when it comes to Israel. And as far as America goes, the American settler colonialists that took over the land from the quote-unquote indigenous people, well, it all depends on where you start the clock. Because the quote-unquote indigenous people that we, we apparently uprooted before threw out somebody else. So when does the clock start? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, this, this, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, I mean, look, this is, it, it, it this is neo Marxist claptrap and its purpose, its goal is to bring down Western civilization, yeah, absolutely. otherwise known as Judeo-Christian civilization, otherwise known as a civilization built on the ideas and concepts in the uh, Torah, the First Testament, and uh, the, the more recent Testament, the New Testament, where all the great ideas uh, that that motivated our founding fathers, the idea that we're made in the image of God, and that because of that, every human being has dignity, value, and worth, and uh, that man is naturally evil. And so uh, governments need to have checks and balances to prevent evil men from exploiting other men, that no man can own another man, because as Lincoln said, no man is born by God with a saddle on his back and other men born with spurs to ride him. You just could go on and on and on. It's the greatest civilization the world has ever seen. And the youth of that generate of that that civilization in Europe and increasingly here in the United States is literally at war with that civilization. And if they are unchecked, if we can't come up with an antidote, they are going to destroy it. And by doing so, condemn every other young generation uh, to lesser lives. You know, these progressives, and I hate that term because it comes from the word progress. If anything, we ought to start calling them regressives because they want a world that is strictly tribal and strictly um, pre-modern, where what you look like, your genitalia, your skin color, that's what defines you. All this talk recently, uh, starting with the, with the Russia's invasion and now amplified with the disastrous uh, war that was launched upon Israel on 10-7 about World War III. What if World War III is already here, Gary? What if it's already here and we don't recognize it? What if it's here and we're losing it? All the anticipation, that's, all the attention that's given to anticipating you know, this nuclear Armageddon, but we're losing all these little wars that won't make this Armageddon-type war necessary. It, whether it's Iran or Gaza or the South China Sea or Ukraine or Afghanistan, the rot inside the West, and I'll use that term broadly, primarily in the United States, but in Europe, the rot is deeper in Europe, but the U.S. is a more important, indispensable nation. The crime, the self-loathing, the dysfunctional politics, the, the power and contempt of our elites, our wide open borders, the, the, the drug traffickers, the Iran agents inside the highest levels of our government, these Jew-hating mobs celebrating murder and genocide in our streets. I mean, that sounds to me like a world war, not in a 
a kinetic sense, but if I were Xi Jinping, if I were the Chinese Communist Party leader, and I could get a look at the rot, I would think, why on earth should I risk a nuclear Armageddon when all I have to do is wait a bit and they'll hand me the keys? Well, I no, I think it's a good analysis, Tom. And really, uh, if we're waiting for a declaration of war by somebody, um, it, it's unlikely to ever come. Right. I, look, I, we're still debating in this country whether uh, the the COVID virus came from a bat sandwich uh, <laughs> or came out of a, of a lab in in Wuhan. Uh, I'm so you know I I'm so far beyond that. I but I I know it came out of the lab. I I wonder whether it came out by accident or intentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what better way? to wage war than to do it with all these different things, pandemics, uh, uh, you, you know, bleeding us economically and building up massive debt by making us uh, as the world's policemen going and fighting in a hundred different places, et cetera. Uh, we, we just seem by every measurement to be um, in, in a very bad place and, and nothing is happening dramatic enough to help the American people uh, put it all together. You know, we were we were very confused all the way up to uh, December 6th, you know, before December 7th, when we got the crap kicked out of us at uh, Pearl Harbor. And then Americans, you know, kind of generally thought, huh, guess we're going to have to go fight somebody. Were, the, were there uh, demonstrations man, calling for a ceasefire after Pearl Harbor? I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Anybody calling for one of those would have uh, probably uh, went into got got sent to one of Roosevelt's probably would have been lynched exactly got you know? or, or been been uh, sent to one of Roosevelt's concentration camps. Yeah. Now, Tom, uh, uh, we've been doing a lot on Israel, as we should. This is a big, big deal. But let me just uh, bring in something going on here in the United States that in a a strange way, but I think in a very real way, is is nonetheless related. The Republicans finally decided on the Speaker of the House. He's uh, his name is uh, is former his congressman. Uh, Michael uh, Johnson, um, he uh, he's an evangelical Christian and uh, he was elected unanimously. Tom, you're going to love this. Um, I, I, uh, I got him to speak by Zoom to a conference going on in Colorado Springs uh, last week, uh, much to the shock of the audience uh, that that. You know, with all the press he was getting, he was willing to to do that. Listen to this, Tom. He sent me a little note, a text message afterwards. I I texted him and said, oh, my goodness, Speaker Johnson, the the crowd loved it. Jim Dobson loved it. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm going to come up and see you soon. Thank you, Gary. It was great to do. My fondest memories, he said, are still riding on the Bauer for President bus for a couple of weeks in Louisiana as a young man forming my own political views. He was on my campaign bus. That's amazing. And you you actually did. you, You did very well down there, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the point I was going to make is. When he won, uh, he said two things in the days that followed. One was 
he said, I, I ran. I didn't expect to, to run, but I ran because I felt God was really laying on my heart that I was meant to do this. And, and I believe that, um, you know, my victory was, you know, God's plan. Now, you might, you know, some people might say, well, what an idiot. You know, but that's very mainstream evangelical thinking, you know, that and he said, you know, he heard God putting this on his heart. Well, evangelicals talk like that all the time. God laid this on my heart. I, I, I got news for you. Jews do, too. It's called the driven leaf. This in Hebrew, the expression is, is a driven leaf that every leaf that falls from every tree was preordained by God to fall at a certain trajectory, you know, at a certain speed, at a certain nanosecond in time in the history of creation. It's not crazy. Well, it, I, I learn something on the Byron Rose show every day. Uh, one of the things I learn is I don't know everything. <laughs> and the second thing I learn is usually something from you like that. That's very, that's very reassuring. But listen to this, Tom. Bill Maher, who's actually been doing some pretty, saying some pretty good things in recent years, remains a God denying atheist. And the other night on his show, he said, you know, uh, that mass shooter, you know, we had this mass shooting in Maine. Terrible, terrible yeah, mass yeah, yeah, shooting. Awful. Maine. He said, you know, that mass shooter in Maine uh, had told people that that he heard voices. Uh, is that really any different uh, than, than what the Republican Speaker of the House is saying? Well, yeah, yeah. one's a killer and the other one's a Christian. You know, I, I mean, good grief. But he is being roundly attacked as wanting to set up a theocracy. They are mortified that he said one of one reporter said to him, uh, where, what, where are you coming from? How do you form your views? And he goes, well, if you want to know my worldview, just pull the Bible off your shelf and read it. That's my worldview. Yeah, unfortunately, they being, probably don't have a Bible on their shelf. Right. And Tom, the reason I bring it all up, even though it's not a foreign policy matter, it shows you how deep the war is on Judeo-Christian values, uh, which are the basis of Western civilization and certainly the basis of the American, expre American experiment in ordered liberty under God. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to ask you about um, Mike Johnson. I Going from the sublim going from the subliminal to the less than sublime, I think he's a very young man, isn't he? He he is, yeah. He's, uh, he's so. What was he guy. doing on your campaign bus in eighteen seventy eight? No, no. Well, that was only twenty three years ago. He's not that young of a man. I think he's probably in his uh, early forties. Um, well, that would mean and, he was a teenager, Gary. I know you weren't a math major at the University of Kentucky, but... Um, well, no. Uh, or, so, so 23 years ago from early, you know, like, like say, 43. Okay. All right. 20 years yeah, old. Yeah. All right. So... But he was, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the campaign bus had uh, people on it, like Tony Perkins, who's now the head of the Family Research Council, and at that point was a state legislator. And uh, and it, you know, it had uh, experienced press people and county chairmen and so forth. But it also had, you know, some teenagers and some guys and ladies in their early 20s that were excited about my campaign and they were getting involved in politics. This was going to be their first experience. And uh, and and here it is. It comes full circle. In fact, 
Tom, I don't know if I shared this on the air. Somebody was asking a liberal reporter at Politico when when uh, Mike Johnson began to emerge. Uh, they asked this this Politico reporter, who's also a former uh, New York Times reporter, uh, who is this guy? And the answer he texted out was, uh, think Gary Bauer, not George W. Well, that's fine with me. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's, I was uh, I thought, oh, man, he's doomed now. You know, that's uh, and so this smear campaign, has it reached the level where it's kind of an orchestrated effort to paint him oh, as this orchestrated? Yeah, crack they want to take him down. And and uh, one of the things, of course, that's causing outrage and this may anger you, too. Uh, he wants to vote on aid to Israel. He's very pro-Israel. He wants to vote in the House of Representatives on on aid to Israel to be a separate vote, and he wants to vote on aid to Ukraine. Why shouldn't be they be separate? separate why shouldn't they be separate votes? Uh, absolutely, it's clear in my view, Tom. It's clear what's happening here. The president and absolutely. Mitch McConnell know that aid to Ukraine is getting more and more dicey, but they know that support for Israel is very strong. And they want the vote to be overwhelming. And so what this does is allow uh, people that might be in districts that are turning against the Ukraine war for members who vote for the aid anyway to say, well, I didn't much like the aid for Ukraine. I did it because I'm pro-Israel. But and, doesn't and, that and doesn't that blow the lid off the whole notion that the Democrats in general and the Biden administration in particular are so pro-Israel if they're willing to politicize a vote for support? I know the number that thrown out is 14 billion in aid for Israel. If you break it down, it's more like six because they're including two billion dollars for the building of a U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, which is total, absolute, asinine garbage. You don't need to spend $2 billion to build, you know, a fortified embassy complex in Israel, and it doesn't do Israel any good if it's a $2 billion embassy complex. All the other kinds of uh, uh, enhancements of the F-35 program they throw in as aid to Israel, which isn't really aid to Israel. Israel might benefit, but why can't someone have an opinion on one piece of aid for one country and another piece of aid for another country? It serves simply to diffuse the issue so that we can't talk about corruption in Ukraine. We can't talk about uh, the urgency of of munition resupply to Israel, uh, which I hate to break it to you, is going to get urgent at some point. Uh you know this this yep. can't this can't go on for Israel, forever israel's a tiny country uh and the dangers that it faces i mean we just got rocketed yesterday by iranian backed rebels in yemen have now ballistic missile capabilities i mean yemen hey, look the, the the average um, a Muslim uh, radical in you know in in New York City is going to have missile capacity before this is over. I mean, Iran spreads these missiles around all over the place. People that barely have the wheel in some of those South, some of those Middle Eastern nations suddenly have ballistic missiles. Tom Biden actually said that if the House proposal which is a, a big aid pr proposal for Israel 
somehow got through the House and Senate, he would veto it. He has said that in the last 24 hours, unless it contains the aid for Ukraine. And by the way, aid for Ukraine... I'm not saying $60 billion would pass the House, but there are enough Republicans to join all the Democrats for a significant Ukrainian aid package. Right. I mean, a standal. I mean, it it won't be 60 billion. But then again, they don't need 60 billion. Not to mention they haven't even begun to spend if they haven't stolen or otherwise wasted a lot of the aid that's gone before. And by the way, I'm pro Ukraine. The Russian invasion was a a criminal act, an attempted conquest. But this aid is going to pay government salaries, pensions, their the Ukrainian social security system, uh, uh, infrastructure projects, civil reform, which I would support, civil reform and, and civic accountability projects. Our aid to Ukraine is not strictly military. In fact, the vast bulk of our aid to Ukraine is social aid. And benefit to the Ukrainian economy to make sure that they don't run out of foreign currency reserves. So it's not even, and I'm not anti-Ukraine, I'm pro-Ukraine. But it's an apples to oranges situation. Israel needs 155 millimeter artillery shells. Israel needs more funding to, to produce here in Israel the Tamir missiles that are part of the Iron Dome system. We need more Aero missile batteries, again, developed by, by Israel in Israel, but paid for by the United. I mean, these things are expensive. Yeah, uh, they, they obviously are expensive, Tom. And, and look, the, uh, you, you know, it's interesting that the Ukraine, uh, uh, basically social security system is, is being bailed out by us because our <laughs> social security system is going to hit a brick wall, uh, down the road as, uh, as baby boomer geezers, uh, uh, continue to retire. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pyramid scheme, scheme, and we're not having enough babies. And, and, you know, there's going to be, um, a real day of reckoning, not that down, that far down the road. Uh, the, the corruption issue is huge, Tom. But by the way, the, the, the way this is being handled by McConnell, Fox News is all in that they must be both in the same package. Is that right? Yes. They're going to put Johnson in a position where he is, at, he is going to end up losing the speakership. That this will blow up the Republican Party in the House of Representatives, and he will be in a no-win situation. So, I, Tom, I don't know whether Mitch and the boys realize it. I don't know if the RNC realizes it. I don't know if the donor class realizes it, and if the you know the smart uh, the smart folks over at Fox realize it. If they keep up down this road. They are going to guarantee that no matter how bad off Joe Biden is, he's going to win re-election next November. We will not keep the House and we will not gain in the Senate. And then we will lose everything. They are dividing the Republican Party in two by this relentless billions, 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 billions more for this war, that war, this war, that war. And your your education, your this, your that, that can that can all wait. We'll just borrow another trillion dollars from China. What am I missing mathematically here? You're telling me that there aren't 
We've got a five-seat majority. There aren't 10 Republicans to join every single Democrat for a separate standalone Ukraine bill that, that might not be $60 billion, but it'll be huge. I don't understand the math. Why are they so... They'll get their bloody Ukraine aid. You know what I mean? They'll get it. Well, well, well because they, they do, it'll be a separate vote. And the Republican bigwigs don't want that. The Republican bigwigs big wigs so so if why Johnson, because the, he, why hold on i want to back up why because the vast majority of republicans not all but the vast majority would vote against it no they don't want it because the republican grassroots is increasingly right absolutely putting any but it would still money. but my and, point is it would still there are enough liberal republicans that it would look i'm being very parochial very self-centered very self-absorbed here we need the aid and this is just going to drag out <sighs> yeah no so so what i'm saying tom is that that the the war 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 wing of the republican party does not want to be exposed in their congressional districts as being in the war, war, war wing of the party. But the donor class and a lot of the party establishment wants Republicans to vote for aid to Ukraine. I see. I see. I see. I see. So if tying it with Israel, I get it. Yep. Yep. I get it. So uh, it, it's a it, rather I'm cynical, you, Tom, a rather a rather cynical thing to do at a time of it is, uh, yeah, very cynical, <laughs> uh, severe peril. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, and by the way, there's going to be a couple of billion in there for uh, border security, which will enable Biden and the Democrats to all run on. They spent more money on border security when, in fact. The money has nothing to do with border security. It is for more agents to process the massive crowds of non-migrants claiming they're migrants who are entering, who continue to enter the country. Uh, To use the the famous Gary Bauer analogy, the so-called border security money pot isn't to fix the roof, the leaky roof. It's to buy more buckets. To catch yep. the leaky yes. roof water. In other words, to process more illegals into the country. I think the number now is 7 million. I think I heard uh, Congressman Waltz, Michael Waltz from Wisconsin, say that they estimate that 160,000 of the 7 million would be considered security threats or potential security threats. Are you going to tell me, can anyone say with any degree of certainty that no members of Hamas, no organized cells of Hezbollah have just walked across our border? Uh, Are do do people not see what's going on in the world? And now that the United States is a border-free country and their war against the West, their war against uh, Christian civilization and the state of Israel uh, can walk unimpeded into the United States? 
Yeah, you know, and Tom, there have been stories. We used to talk about them on the air. They they don't happen every day, but there were regular reports out of the uh, the the poor ranchers that are along the border and whose lives have been turned upside down as thousands of people trespass across their land, you, you know, defecating in the middle of the night, stealing food, banging on the far, the ranchers' uh, doors, et murders. They find they, dead they bodies. Right. And they also find strewn along the way uh, the flags of Hamas and Hezbollah. Wow. I, that uh, I did not know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You always you always um, manage you always manage to end the show on a cheery note there, Gary. Well, I know. What can I tell you? Um, well, Tom, this has been um, in many ways depressing, but also very <laughs> satisfying. And, uh, uh, Have and- we ever not had a depressing show? Honestly, uh, we've been doing this what now? We had a four year break, but we've been doing this for what for fifteen years? Uh, oh fourteen, yeah, yeah, almost. It'll be all. It's pushing fifteen, yeah. I remember when you first uh, broached the idea with me of doing a Bauer and Rose show uh, uh, every Sunday on Sirius XM, and I said to you, "Well, Tom, I- I'm willing to give it six months, and then let's see what happens." I think I let the six month thing fly. <laughs> happens, by. happens every time. Happens every time, folks. Yeah. You just gotta, you just, you know, it's like you're fishing. You throw the line out, Bauer. You know, he takes the bait. You got him hooked, and there he is. So. Yeah, by breaking news, uh, AOC accuses pro-Israel PAC, Political Action Committee, of being an extremist organization that destabilizes U.S. democracy. Uh, I don't know if she's talking about something that the APAC has, but uh, uh, Tom, I'm telling you, the the rupture in the Democrat Party is is. Uh, it's no uh, no longer a hairline crack in the window. It's becoming the Grand Canyon. The problem is they have a grand vision, a global vision that they're willing to fight and die for. And I'm not sure we have the same thing. And on that note, folks, <laughs> uh, have a drink and be with us. I was going to say, I can, ha- I can have a drink at 7 o'clock at night here. So uh, anyway, well, be well, my friend, and we will speak in a couple of days. All the best. Make sure, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Bower and Rose Show. God bless, everybody. God bless.